he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. You ever had, had someone ask you to do something? And you're like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Just one of those absurd requests. To this day, my dad, every now and again, when he, uh, will, will talk to me, and he'll, he'll still say to this day, I still can't believe when you got me up on that mountain, you took me on nice edge. And uh, he says uh, from that time when we uh, went on Katahdin together, he still says, if I would have known how bad that was, I would have never walked that trail. I guess he didn't like the sheer cliff on one side and the 50-foot drop on the other with a ledge that was just as wide as our waist. Like, that was just one of those absurd things. He will not do that again. Uh, it would be like today, uh, here in February. Someone's like, hey, you want to take a dip in the ocean? You know, join the Polar Bear Club? You're like, that's absurd. I'm not going to do something like that. You might have your reason, but I'm not going to do it. It's like uh, the first time someone said to me, hey, Tim, do you think this is the year we vote third party? And I thought, I don't know. Is this the year we throw our vote away? And so like, like, like it just on the face, it seems absurd. It's like when my, my sister used to ask when I was kid, hey, hey, Tim, I'm, I'm watching The Sound of Music. Do you want to watch it with me? And I said, oh, I think I have to go to a dentist appointment. <laughs> like, it was just absurd requests. Absurd request. Now, now, certainly, certainly, there might be reasons that people have good reasons for any number of those things, but on the on, on the face, it just seems that it doesn't make any sense at all. It's absurd. Uh, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, is about to say some things that, at its face, are going to be like, "Well, this doesn't make any sense at all. What is he getting at here?" And of course, there's some reasons behind it. There's some ideas behind it, and we're, so we're going to look at that together uh, today. Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 38 to 48. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, we'll give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. Don't refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." This, this is a passage of Scripture right in the middle of his sermon where you read this and you say, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> how, how serious is Jesus about this? Because when I, when I hear this, it seems to be pretty, pretty out there. Out there like jumping in the water right now or watching the sound of music. Like not something that I like, want to do. But uh, he says right off the bat, he says, uh, you know, you've heard 
eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You do this to me, I'm doing this to you. But he says to him, he says, don't resist an evildoer. And this word resist, and there's all kinds of ways, of course, to resist evil. We can resist evil with the same force that they use or greater to defeat them. Uh, there's, all, there's also a history of even like nonviolent resistance. There's all kinds of ways to resist. Uh, and the way in which this word resist shows up in other documents as well is it's a word that often is used to refer to armed resistance. It's Jesus' way, perhaps, of telling his disciples and his followers, I'm not raising up zealots to uh, overthrow Rome. Uh, as indeed he would end up saying when he got arrested, what, you think I raised up an army or something that you would come with men with swords to come and arrest me? And so he says, We're, do not resist evildoers. And then, he's, and then he goes on when he says, uh, if someone strikes you on the right cheek... Now, it's one of those things where if you imagine someone striking you on the right cheek, it means one of two things. It means either they're left-handed, I mean, if, it's just, if they're just hitting you once, or, or, or it, is the most, it is the most demeaning insult with the backhand. It is, and when he says to turn the other cheek, it is his way of saying the worst kind of insult, the worst kind of way in which someone can indeed hurt you or come at you and insult you. He says, turn the other cheek. And that seems odd to read. Like, how do we make sense of this statement? No one is going to advocate that someone should just withstand abuse and accept more. My uncle had a way of looking at it. My uncle was the kind of guy who uh, in third grade could beat up the fifth graders. He was always bigger than everybody else. His way of looking at this is, you got two shots to knock me down, then I'm coming after you. <laughs> My uncle was big and rural. You get in the picture? <laughs> Just one of those big, strong farm boys. And so he, uh, that, was, that was his mindset. I don't think... Jesus is quite looking at it that way either. That just seems to fall very quickly back into eye for eye, tooth for tooth kind of language. I remember when he told that, we laughed, and then I thought, well, I don't know if that's what he means, but okay. Uh, he goes on and says, you know, if, uh, uh, if someone is going to force you to go a mile, go the second mile as well. In looking and studying this, I found out that uh, when the editors say go a mile, that they weren't just translating the word for us English-speaking American Christians, you know, who measure everything by the mile. Uh, when, when I looked into this more and more, I found that uh, this word that we translate as mile is indeed where we get the word mile from. Milion, which is the Roman measurement for that long distance. Uh, and so he says, if, if you are to go that distance, we'll go another one. And why might that be significant? Well, the New Testament, written in the Greek language that they were speaking at the time, the major trade language, the Greek language that in large part was introduced um, uh, by uh, Alexander the Great long time before the Romans came, that then became a part of what everyone was speaking. This, this language, the, the usual word for a long-term of measurement is stadia. And I know this is the most boring thing you could ever hear, but stadia. And you're saying to yourself, oh, wait, have I heard that before? In the book of Revelation, the measurements of the kingdom of heaven, how long, how wide, how high, is measured in this term stadia. And, it, it, and of course, that measurement isn't just to say, of course, how big heaven is, but to say it's perfect 
in size and ready for us. But um, this word is also used, uh, it's going to come to a good point, I promise you. This, this word study is also used by a Jewish historian who ends up writing for the Romans. And so it's funny, if, if he's writing for the Romans, you would think maybe he would use their ter- term of measurement. But no, most often the, the word used, both in the New Testament and in a historian writing for the Romans after Jesus' time, is this word stadia. And so it's just, it was the more common, well-known unit of measurement. It's like someone saying kilometers to us today. We'd be like, wait, what? Hold on, I think it's 0.6 of a mile or point, whatever it is. You know, we're trying to figure that out. And so in the same way, for him to say million, where we came up with the word mile, is, is for him to use a specific Roman term that isn't in the vernacular, isn't the common language. And I can't help that he is hinting at the kind of military conscription that would happen sometimes. Soldiers going from one place to another, and they say, hey, carry my bag for me. Carry my supplies for me. And they would force the citizens to walk with them. And it would absolutely put them out. If you have to walk a mile or two miles to uh, help the very people who are currently occupying their land, it is the worst insult. It puts you out for the rest of your day. It is not what anybody there wants to do. And Jesus references that situation and says, and we're going to go the extra mile. This is this, this, this concern about retaliation, this, 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 this concern about how it is we're going to take care of and we're going to approach those who often seem to be taking something away. Even that last verse, give to everyone who begs from you. We all know why we don't give when we choose not to. It's because we're, we think to ourselves, I don't think this is actually going to help you. <laughs> we think, oh, you're just going to take and use this for whatever means. That hasn't changed over thousands of years. When people didn't give to those who begged then, it was the same reason. Why should I give you what I worked hard for when you're just going to waste it? And Jesus says, give to everyone who begs. Don't refuse anyone who wants to borrow. And so all of these kind of statements are those kinds of statements that just at first, like, man, this, this all just sounds absurd. Yeah, there might be a reason behind it, but at first glance, like, it doesn't make sense that this is, this is what you might call us to do. In fact, we realize that this kind of behavior, what it's not going to do is it's not going to alter their behavior. None of this is a solution for making things better. It's not at all. But Jesus doesn't propose a solution there. He just is is indicating a better way of living other than whatever you do to me, I'm going to do to you. And so he says again, you know, you've heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, originally that saying would be a saying meant to emphasizing loving your neighbor. When, 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 when it says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, it's a way of saying there should be no space for hate among your neighbor. If there's anyone you're going to hate, it should be your, your enemy. It's a way of just kind of emphasizing, again, how important it is to love your neighbor. And Jesus expands that even more and says, this is what you've heard. And, 
And, and we've settled, it's almost like he's saying, you, we've settled too much into the hate your enemy kind of line of thinking. But this call to love is a call that spreads out even to your enemies. For they experience all the same things we do. They're getting snow right now as well. And so this is a part of what Jesus calls us to as a descriptor of, of, of where love might still be able to go. And it's hard to read this. We find ourselves saying, can he really mean this? It all just sounds absurd. Is this just figurative speak? Already we saw hyperbole before in his sermon uh, when he was talking about, you know, disfiguring yourself instead of going to hell. Like we knew that was exaggeration. That was just hyperbole. Is this more of that? And without a doubt, there seems to be indeed some, some examples here of, okay, this just seems to be a little bit over the top. But it doesn't change the heart of the matter. We're called to love even when it's hardest. And even when they are the hardest to love. And I think this passage is supposed to shock us. I think we're supposed to read this and go, wait, what? It's supposed to challenge us. I think when it stops shocking us, it means we've tamed it. (laughs) You know, when when, when something is tamed, it's domesticated, it's controlled, it no longer has its bite. (laughs) It doesn't affect us anymore. And I think if we get too easily into the habit of explaining this passage away, and trust me, I have to do everything I can to not try to explain too much of this away. I think it, we, we no longer take it seriously. But, God, but Jesus is very serious about the love that God calls us to have, even for those who are most difficult. Christian behavior is meant to be abnormal. <laughs> to the negative attitudes and acts that we face in our world. We are a people who choose a positive response where others might choose a negative response. And so when he talks about loving for enemies and and even praying for those who persecute us, praying for enemies forces us to see them as God sees them, to recognize that there's a conflicted humanity in that person. One of the things I found that's so easy to do when we make enemies and we we recognize someone has done something wrong, we're very quick to use terms and phrases that turn them into something other than human, a monster, a demon. Uh, We use terms that seem to kind of strip them of their humanity. But when we pray for them, we're forced to see this person might just be someone God can redeem. This might be someone God cares about. And if so, maybe it's someone that I too might be called to, compare, uh, to, to, uh, to care about. There, there, there's examples again and again in history of, of radical moments of forgiveness that never seemed like it would be possible. Whether it's Nelson Mandela's Forgiveness Commission in South Africa that helped people to heal during a great racial strife, and not just when a new group gets in power, well, now we subject the other group. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes to prison for trying to act against Hitler, what he does in prison is he treats the prison guards with extra kindness, even though they're the ones who are going to end up leading him to the gallows. 
When Martin Luther King Jr. opposes violence and the exercise of violence to try to bring about change and radical change, and at the time it is perceived as completely antisocial, completely detrimental to the way in which society functions, but yet he does so in a way that refuses violence and allows the speaking against injustice through nonviolent ways. And the sin of violence, the sin of violence done against him and against black people during his time, spoke against itself, condemned itself as well, as it became evident again and again at just how terrible were the things happening. Uh, It has made massive inroads in our community, recognizing that passages like this, sometimes God can use in miraculous ways when we say, well, maybe Jesus is kind of serious when he says things like this. It's why uh, I, I think I like the passage, or I like the song, Reckless Love, that we've been singing the last couple of months. That second verse, while I was a foe, <laughs> he loved us, cared for us. And that's part of Jesus' call here, is that even while someone is a foe, God might be able to redeem and change. And so for us to seek for that, rather than to seek vengeance. It helps us remember that God is the one who avenges, and not ourselves. And so we are called to act out of this love, not to act out of fear or hurt or, or, or a sense of privilege or a sense of uh, revenge, but, but of always recognizing God might be up to something I don't know yet. And, it's a, and this is an interesting passage because it's, it's hard to look at this. And I know that sometimes there are people who might be hearing this message and, and, and read this as a, oh no, well, I guess I'll just subject myself again to an abuser or somebody who is, who is destroying them. And that is something I would never want to advocate because I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to empower someone to think, oh, someone's just going to let me do what I want to do. But yet this passage speaks to us today in a way that says we are not just going to be a people who are just looking to find new power over somebody else who's wronged us. But we are going to hope and we are going to pray that God does something radical in our life and the lives of those around us. And it is, it, 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 it's a hard calling. It's a hard message to read. It seems absurd, as absurd as any of those fun things I got to mention before. But uh, uh, this is one of those where Jesus speaks to his people, reminds them and tells them, that our God has a plan and a purpose and we are going to live in the love and the call of God and hope and pray for God's redemptive power to redeem a world, to redeem a society, to redeem indeed the relationships we have rather than acting in constant conflict with one another as we seek just another another moment of revenge or another moment of uh, I need what I need. And so uh, I share this passage with you today. 
and hope and prayer that we would allow it to keep its bite. Allow it to, uh, uh, to convict, to, to speak to us, to challenge us, to stretch us. Because we're going to find opportunities where indeed we say, oh, but wait a minute, I don't know if I totally get this. Uh, Jesus must just be kind of exaggerating here. What's his call here? And Jesus is reminding us again, you've heard it said, this is the law, but the point has always been, God wants to restore justice, and he wants to reconcile people, and he wants to help us to grow in love. And so let us open up our hearts to God, the one who gave his son up for us while we were yet sinners. While we were still intent on sending him to the cross, he said, I still love this world. I still have made a promise and a covenant with these people, and I want to redeem them. And we as his followers get to look for ways in which we get to exercise that grace as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for passages of Scripture that... um, uh, are not easy to explain away or to talk about. The passages of Scripture that just sometimes don't make sense, except, Lord, we see that we have been called to follow Your Son, someone who was crucified for us and for our salvation. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to follow faithfully. Help us to follow knowing full well that You are the God who has the last word. And you are the God that promises a resurrection. And so let us live boldly and faithfully to the calling of love that you have placed upon our lives, knowing full well that you are with us and you will bring redemption. Thank you again for uh, the life, the example, and and these words of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's It's in His name that we pray. And that we have learned to pray the words that he taught us to pray. Let us pray his prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.